So I've had this uh, teaching in Ephesians on my heart for, for quite a while. I mean, the most important thing to, when, when we're in this is the book of Ephesians was sort of like considered one of Paul's crowning achievements. Just, it, it's a tremendous book to read through. And, but I mean, the number one thing I think we need to have in context for this teaching is Paul taught it in chains in a prison cell, you know, and, and that really changes this. And in, in these verses, we're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. And uh, in these verses, I mean, how many here have memorized these, you know, in Sunday school or as a kid or whatever, right? I mean, these are like sort of like go-to verses you teach your kid, but as I started memorizing them, something I was really lousy at doing until recently, they, they really came to life, especially in my Christian walk in the last year or so. And I hope I can bring that to life, what I've seen in this teaching. And, and leading up to these verses, I mean, Paul teaches the author, right, Paul, is about so many aspects of the Christian life, you know, Grace through faith, spiritual gifts, becoming a new man in Christ, walking in love, light, wisdom, about marriage, children, parents, bondservants and masters, or today it would be employees and employers, you know. After all these teachings, he just kind of takes a breath and he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the, the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterances may be given to me, and that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may in it speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he starts out in verse 10, he says, finally, brethren. So he's, that's you and I, right? And he says, be strong in the Lord with the power of his might. And I mean, this is a concept we all know. By my strength, there's just no power at all. It's the Lord's strength. So then he's telling us to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And 
the wiles when you look it up. It's so easy with our computer now. We have so much. Bam, there's that word. And, and what's it say? It says, cunning arts, deceitful, craft, trickery. I mean, that's who we face. You know, if we're going to go up against a spiritual adversary with this title, we would be very prideful not to believe that we need the whole armor of God, right? I mean, we don't want to leave any of it because just as, just what he says he is. You know, we can blame it on God, you know, about all that is bad in the world. But how successful is men being able to fix this without God? I mean, we look at the UN's attempts to have world peace, you know, welfare's attempts to fix the poor and the needy. And, and man doesn't do very good going up against this. So in verse 12, we, this, this verse, when I initially looked at it, took me a little bit off. You, you, know, you know, I said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And, and that, that particular flesh and blood seems to just go a little bit against what you would read in the Bible. You know, when it says, you know, that the flesh and the spirit, you know, one lust after the other. There's a fight there, but... The context that Paul's talking about is that it's not our flesh and blood we wrestle against. It's actually our heart, right? He doesn't say we don't wrestle against our flesh and our blood and our heart. The thing is that it isn't our body or our fight, right? But the heart directs our body. I mean, there, there's actually people has taken Paul out of context, you know, where, where, where he says, I beat my body into submission. So, so in some crazy religious act, they're beating themselves with a whip till they bleed. And of course, that isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about the spirit. And of course, we know that the heart gives life, you know, to the flesh and the blood. And I mean, isn't it interesting that everybody knows that, even the people that don't believe in Christianity. I mean, everybody knows when you say it's a matter of a heart or their heart isn't in it or he loves her with all his heart. Everybody knows there's a spiritual component of our heart. And outside of our bodies, there's a spiritual warfare going on in a dimension that's unseen to us. And to a lot of people, this concept of a spiritual warfare doesn't seem to make much sense in a realm that we can't see but, you know, think about this. Everybody believes in the spiritual world. I mean, many a non-believer have called out to God in a death situation. Anyone can see the battle between good and evil in the world. So why would we think that there would not be a spiritual battle that we can't see in the world? But the thing we have to remember as we enter into this battle is that it has nothing to do with our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift from God. It's not of our strength. But this free gift that he gives us literally produces spiritual welfare. Warfare, not welfare, in the world. I mean, just think about it. 
it says, you know, Luke tells us that. You know, it says, I have set a man against his father. So you take a man, he gets set on what? He gets set on this word, and he isn't going to move. It's the foundation. So to those that don't believe, they're basing their life on a different foundation, and it's just going to produce this, this warfare. I mean, but in this spiritual warfare, I think the Bible's always the best commentary on the Bible. I couldn't say it any better in First Peter, you know, verse 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may, be, he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the rest of the world. And you know, the interesting thing is, you think about it. We, we want to look at this war as outside of us, right? When we, when we evangelize our friends, you know, what goes on in the world. But the battle really starts where? It starts in our heart. You know, way back in Genesis, there was two seeds planted in mankind, right? We were created in God's image. But unfortunately, we also... Our forefather, Adam, decided to, that he wasn't, that wasn't happy with that. So he looked at what? He looked at the tree of good and evil. He took in, he ate from that tree. When you eat something, what's it do? It goes in. It becomes part of your body. So we know in Genesis there's, there's two seeds within us, right? And that is where this warfare starts in our heart. And that's the first thing we have to do is to address this. It's really in our DNA. You know, they show them pictures of the DNA wound. I think one side there you know, and the other side. It's all in there together. So we're, we're, we're fighting a worldly battle with our mind, what we see. And also we have to realize there is a battle that's within us. So what do we do? First, verse 13 tells us, therefore, we take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day having done all to stand. You know, obviously we're going to need the whole armor. Would any soldier be so prideful to think he could go into battle with what? <laughs> Half his armor left behind, right? Why would we think we could do it any other way? We take everything. And, you know, so we can be able to withstand. I mean, these are in other parts of the Bible to the point that God gave us a promise. You know, we can always hold fast to God's promises. So us in here that, you know, we pray, we read our Bible, we're prepared. And then God is faithful. What? He's faithful that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, he will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And then again, the next verse, and having all to stand. And again, would any fool enter a physical battle not doing all that he could to win that battle? And so it should be for us. Now we get in this part of this teaching that really came to life for me in several ways. And of course, we start out, I didn't really understand these verses till. Strangely enough, we watched the movie Pilgrim's Progress. 
and it was a movie made in a modern day setting, but on a book that's actually the second largest selling book after the Bible. Pretty interesting, huh? Ryan found this movie for our youth group, and we watched it, and, and I seen something really interesting in that movie, and I really need to look at it. I think Bunyan wrote a lot of that book out of these verses. He seems to, it seems to be that way. But when you start out, it says, there, it says, therefore having girded your waist. And uh, I mean, the best example of that is I went to Catholic grade school and high school and the girls were told, skirts down to here, right? Well, that wasn't the style, so what would they do? You know, as soon as the nuns weren't looking, it would gird them skirts up, right? So, I mean, everybody here knows that they didn't wear pants back then, right? So what would they do when they were getting ready to do some work or go into battle? They would, they would get up and they would do something, you know? They, they, so at any rate, I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. And... Uh, So this is not exactly this girding of the waist. I'm sorry, I've not lost my place, place here. I'm going to have to just, uh, yeah. At any rate, so I looked at this person who girded her waist as a saved person, right? But I think this is truly a person that came to salvation right in this, this verse because it says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, where does our righteousness come from? We're only through Jesus Christ, right? I mean, there's nothing of ourselves. So once the truth he's talking about there, of course, is not what the world thinks, not what any artist, professor, politician, actor, actor thinks. You know, if you call yourself a Christian, it should be the whole Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, taking in context. But also, the, whole, the Holy Spirit convicts the whole world of sin. And you know, I mean, in Romans, is just a good verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against a whole, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It says the wrath is revealed. It's into everyone's heart. You know, in so much of my life, I enjoyed what the world would look at as good, clean activities, right? I made it sort of my, my God. And you know, in and of itself, there wasn't anything wrong with that. But that was what I centered my life on. It was my pursuit. But this pursuit of worldly activity left me empty. And it left me searching for something more. So in this book, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian's going along in the beginning of the movie and he's got this burden on his back. And this burden keeps growing and growing and growing. And he's walking around, and at this time he's reading his Bible. And, and, and I, I brought out the truth can be brought into our, our lives in many different ways. How your neighbor, Christian neighbor, lives his life, how he witnesses to you, whatever. But right at the beginning of the movie, the first 20 minutes in, 
he's carrying this burden and he comes to the cross and he meets Jesus and he, gives, he lays down that burden at the cross. And then I realized that, well, the, the interesting thing is we were trying to figure out in the movie and I just realized today what that burden was in the movie he was carrying around on his back. And it was a bunch of animal skins. I said, oh my heavens, it's the sacrifices he's made for everything. And it, it's a picture of religion through works, right? And all them, those works were weighing him down and weighing him down until he got to the point that he couldn't fight a battle. He was carrying everything he had ever done wrong in his life. When he came to the cross, he put on that breastplate of righteousness. He realized he was a sinner. He realized that only Jesus could do this work. So in verse 15, he's put down that burden, and he's going forward. And he shot his feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. I think the most interesting thing about this shotting of feet would have really meant a lot to Paul being in prison because there was something real interesting that made the Roman army superior to any other army at that time. They were the first army, as far as we know, that developed footwear that was suitable for battle. So they're fighting these people that are in sandals and everything, and he had, you see him on, you know, the copies of them on the movies, you know, the leather shoots with the shoes with the laced up with the protector. So in their case, you know, the big advancements of the Roman ar army was his footwear suitable for battle. They knew how to equip their soldiers for battle, as the Lord does us for our spiritual battle. But what I've come to realize in my Christian walk is, is the next part of this, preparation for the gospel of peace. And this I've lived out over the last six months of my life. I always thought this preparation was reading my Bible every day, right, and knowing my Bible. And I used to make excuses, and I was right. I was really lousy at memorizing Bible verses. I mean, I just stunk at it. In my whole job, my own career, I could always see concepts but memorizing stuff, even in school, was always my weak point. And then one time, my kids, Nicole and Ryan, said, hey, you got to check out this app on your phone. It, it allows you to memorize Bible verses. And I started, my golly, it worked for me. And I really didn't think that much of it when I started using it. But I started, I mean, just like mad memorizing the Bible to the point that, my wife would tell you it became a little bit of an obsession. It wasn't like I spent all day doing it. But the reason it did is I've seen this amazing transformation in, in several fronts. Before, when I would go out, and I felt led, you know, to share to somebody. Anybody knows me well, I'm real quick, you know, to just share. I've learned that that's got to be by the Holy Spirit's guiding. But now, instead of hearing, that's your interpretation. My interpretation may have been right, but I didn't have the words to back it up. And since I've learned a lot of key verses of the Bible, and I know I'm not talking about one, I'm talking about two, three, or four at a time in context, 
I cannot tell you how many times people have looked at me and go, you know, that's the truth. And you know, I can say this, I witnessed to a church, to someone in a church denomination, I won't say names, I, I mean, th this is a deal with me. When any denomination is denying the Lord that bought them, when they went that far, to me, there's a real problem in that denomination. And, and I, you know, I witnessed a while back before I went down this path to a person in that denomination, and it didn't go well. It didn't go well. But when we were just, it, 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 we took the youth group, to, to uh, down the Creation Museum, and Ryan and Luke and Dee witnessed this. God led me to sit down. He invited me right beside the table we were at, and he said, hey, I'm from this denomination. And I knew he was, because I'd been up early reading my Bible a couple seats down, you know what I mean? And I heard him talking, you know. This guy lived, ate, slept, and breathed that denomination. I had the Bible verses, and for over an hour, I shared with him why his denomination was apostate. And you know, he never got mad. What I said to him, if I'd have done it six months ago, he'd have got up and punched me. I, it wasn't all Bible verses. I wasn't throwing out Bible verses to hit him over the head with them. But because I was faithful to learn that, God used that. And it was just such a powerful thing, I could hardly believe it. When I got done, the guy shook my hand. You were there, Luke. I mean, it was just like, I'm telling you, his whole family was there. They were there for a Catholic wedding. They were going to the, well, I said the word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. Edit that. <laughs> but at any rate, so, so I'm really seeing the difference because when we, it's the gospel of peace, right? If it's our opinion, it won't be the gospel of peace. No way. It'll be something else. Because it's, we're just putting down an apostate religion with our opinion. And that really is what you think about it and our witnessing on that aspect of this physical, this, most of the people we're talking to will call themselves Christian. But are they walking the walk? You know, and, and again, this isn't something that, that we just go out and look for people to head over the head with all this knowledge we have. It's got to be led by the Holy Spirit. But, but I, we live in an age where we have so much technology. We have at our fingertips so many different versions of the Bible. We have things like this app where you can learn the Bible. We, we don't want to be that wicked and lazy servant, right? You know, we have been given a lot, and a whole lot has been expected of us. You know, and, and i actually seen another aspect of this memorizing Bible verses, and uh, I actually used it when we had the youth group at, at one of the local, we, we did before Christmas, at one of the assisted living areas. And it was a real, made a really great teaching for Christmas. So I'm doing, you, you know, John 3.16. Of course, I memorize, I, I mean, I know that verse. But I memorize verses on both sides of it. And I'm going down there, and I go, da, 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 and it goes, you hit the wrong word, wrong word. Well, 
God sent his only begotten son. No, he didn't. He gave his holy begotten, his only begotten son. Everything changes between sent and gave. When somebody gives you something, you have to accept it. It's a gift. I've seen over and over, I pointed out to my wife so many mornings, I said, look at this word. This isn't in here, or that, that's in here. So, I mean, this app I have, you hit the first, there, you don't see any of the words once you get to the final level, and you hit the first letter of each word. And if it's wrong, it turns red and it burps at you, you know, and it's like, well, I thought that was a word. So this memorizing the Bible has not only corrected some errors I've had in how I look at the Bible, it's made my witnessing now not a fight. And I've had some pretty good witnesses. I mean, times where I've got <laughs> uh, the people that, at any rate, and like I say, it's no longer the gospel of war, it's the gospel of peace. You know, a little bit off subject, but you know on this thing on the gospel of peace, over and over through the Bible, when I was mowing through the New Testament again late, lately, or just the gospels in the New Testament, I kept seeing where Jesus would leave the crowds, Right? Drove his disciples nuts. It's like, Rabbi, they're all following us. We got the denomination. I'm leaving. <laughs> you know? Don't tell anybody what I did. And isn't it interesting, the crowd that on Palm Sunday, you know, which worshipped him, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of that same crowd was the crowd that said, you know, crucify him. But here's the deal. If Jesus would have done what the crowd wanted, there would have been no peace. If he had done what the crowd wanted, there would have been war between the Romans and the Jews. The Israel, they would have gotten wiped out because that's who they were looking for. That was the Messiah they wanted. They wanted a Messiah to elevate their religious system over top of the word of God. And interestingly enough, what Jesus did, discipling one person at a time in love, truly was the gospel of peace. Except for him, he took the brunt of it all. And, and those words just came alive when I, when I seen that gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Above all, course it's the work of the cross we have been saved by grace through faith and, that, and that's the deal I mean you say you see the shield of faith above all well hold it above all isn't it what Jesus done but what good is it if you really don't believe in what he did it means nothing to you and you can only believe in what you have faith in. And you can only believe and have faith in what you know. So he died on the cross for all we have ever done that separated us from a perfect God. He rose from the dead so we can have eternal life through him. This was God's plan from the beginning of creation. There never is, there never will be a plan B. That's what we have faith in. And a soldier 
will not be an effective soldier unless he believes in his Lord who he's fighting for. And I mean, that's why the faith is above all. And then the second part of this verse, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. In my life, I have learned something that I give this advice to a lot of people, and I hope my family sees me practice it more than I used to. The next time you're in a fight with someone, your spouse, with your whoever, your friend, whatever, stop and think, is this argument really important? What is going to come out of this argument? You know, a lot of times it's more important to be the right person than being right. It is just, we go back to the wiles of the evil one. He is deceiving us every day. You know, we, we should walk in the Spirit. We should be able to say, the second you see a confrontation going up, what's it worth? Is it really worth being right? Does it really matter who set the thermostat down? <laughs> you know, but I just got to tell you guys a funny story that really the first time it, this really played out in my life was just so funny. Forgive me, honey, about telling this, but <laughs> about three years ago, <laughs> we, we borrowed the Mahovich's fan to go to CC Philly. It kind of had the gas gauge down to the side. I must have looked at the temperature gauge and thought I had a full tank. <laughs> We're trucking along, heading east, on the turnpike. I looked down, the fuel lights on, it's like, what? <laughs> we go through the couple of the titles. I'm like, give me an exit, Lord. <laughs> Down we go. We get off. I said, hey, we're getting fuel. I said, pray we make it, you know. I go down. And we, guys there at the booth. I said, man, I messed up. I'm about out of fuel. Five miles down the road. Turn right. Down we go down the road. <laughs> we're going along. And, and my wife's 100% right. She's helping. She's got her phone out, right? The phone knows. Phone says, turn left here. I said, honey, the guy said down there, well, this is shorter. You'll run out of gas. The phone knows. I'm not stupid. I know how to run my phone. And I, if the seats were switched, I'd have been doing the same thing. I, I go by the road, and she's like, what do you think? I don't know how to look at my phone and read it. I said, look. And I said, okay, okay. So the, there's a better road. She says, it says, turn at this one. I said, okay, at least this one is like decent blacktop. I will turn left here. Down the road we go. Now turn here. But guess that way, that guy, the, oh, it'll be right down the road. It says it's right down the road. <laughs> here we drive, 90 degrees outside. The van is completely full of every kid that will hold. I guess six of us are watching movies in the back. And I'm like, gee, where is this gas station? I don't understand it. I don't understand it about that time. <laughs> <laughs> I roll over to the side and she, she says honey don't get mad don't get mad but you know I wasn't you know what I was saying honest to goodness I was saying Satan you lose you lose I am not losing my temper this is a teachable moment and, and you taught me something and what happened next was so funny it was unbelievable 
you know, I said, well, I'm going to walk up that house. Here comes an Amish buggy down the road. And I said, I got, we're going to a youth thing, and I got to, you know, the church's kids, and I'm out of gas, and Todd will be in his house up here. Just go in, knock on his door. He'll help you out. He said, I'll wait here. If not, and we got gas. I go, I knock on this gentleman's door. He comes, oh, yeah, I can fix you up. We go to his garage. He's working on this, working on that. I'm like, Oh, that's neat. And he, he looks at his cans and he pulls out this six-gallon can of gas. He goes and dumps it in the van, won't take a penny, and says, gas station's that way. <laughs> I mean, the point of this human story is we gotta, we gotta not let Satan, you know, enter our lives. We need to quench his darts, right? He's got a lot of them. He is deceitful. By being in prayer, by bringing in the word, you know, by walking with the Holy Spirit. Take the helmet of salvation. You know, the, uh, the only thing I can bring out of this verse is, of course, why am I not putting a helmet on? The most important thing I have in a battle is my head, right? I mean, your head gets a good blow, chances are you're in a lot of trouble. Well, God puts it on ourselves. We just take it with it. We, we can't put it on ourselves. That salvation came through Jesus' work on the cross. You know, the answer. So, But the next part of this is some words that we can, we can camp on here for a while. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the God. You know, you can read this book all that's written in it, and for most people, it's just another book, right? It only becomes truth. Well, let, let's just say what the Word is in the beginning. And, of course, John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. This book we have here is what Jesus left us after he left. I mean, this, this is his word from the beginning to the end. But then we have the Spirit, and of course, as you all know well, Jesus told us in several of the Gospels in different ways that it was to our advantage that he was going to go away. Actually to our advantage. And he gave us the person of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is absolutely equal to him. When you put that, you know, it's a really, really, well, I guess the next question someone would ask that wasn't saved, it's something for us to remember. When someone says, well, I want that spirit. Well, I think Revelation 3.20 has the most beautiful verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So, I mean, this is a simple equation that a first grader can figure out. We have the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit, and that gives us truth. And we all know that is the truth, that our everything, the way we look at this world, everything is founded on. We get to Hebrews 4, of course. We, we, we just couldn't talk about this without going to Hebrews, you know, where we talk about the sword of God, right? 
And the most profound thing about that verse is what that double-edged sword does. You know, it pierces to this division of our heart and soul. I mean, the whole way down, it, it reveals the intents and the thoughts of our mind. Pastor Rob always, I'll never forget what it, it does two things that I've both learned from Pastor. One is, when we read this book, the more we read it, the more we know, the more we know we need grace, right? The more it reveals who we truly are. The second thing is, if someone, he tells me, comes into the church and they've accepted God, I don't need to, I don't need to find everything that's wrong in their life and point it out to them. If they have this book open and they're reading it and they're listening to the teachings, it will be revealed to them. The things I thought were really good in my life revealed to me that, that I was putting them in front of God. And I could have never have put them down on my own strength. But when I put them down at the Lord's strength, it's like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. It, it's just amazing the power of the word. That sword that cuts to our heart. I'm just going to put my phone out here. We're going to see. Up. Oh. I can't do the rest of the verses. I said I wouldn't go too long. <laughs> and it looks like I went far enough. But at any rate, yeah, I, I really, uh, should, I, should I mow through a couple more verses? Up, down, everybody set too long? Okay. Because I did see some things in verse 18. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You know, when, when I see that praying always, it's like, I'll pray without ceasing. No, no, that isn't what it means. That's the word supplication. It's earnestly and humbling. Humbly. In other words, when we pray, we need to pray that way. We don't want God to see our prayers this way. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We are going before a God who is not our buddy, right? He's not our magic genie. You know, he does, he does say, he, says in the, he does call us friend. More than a bondservant, he calls us friend. But that should just blow our mind. How many Christians treat their friends with more respect than they treat God in prayer? How many would ask things of their friends? So when we pray, this, it should come from a heart, not our mouth. And, 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 you know, actually this is something I really struggle with, praying out loud. I can pray in private. But, you know, I feel self-conscious, you know, when I pray at night, you know, in front of you guys. Because all of a sudden, I want to impress you guys. You know, it's, it's, and, you know, it's funny. I think my wife and Ryan can tell you something. I can pray at the youth group after we do a teaching, and I'm sort of filled with the Holy Spirit. It just comes out naturally. But on demand, you, you know, not so much. And, and then uh, I really like this thing, uh, the saints, of course. And perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And, uh, you know, we elevate one person, Jesus Christ. The Gospels we read, I mean, over and over again. I mean, I mean 1 Corinthians, you know, chapter 1, 2, is just, I guess, a classic verse. Anybody that is in a denomination that elevates 
saints, to the church of God is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. You know, I mean, look how Peter started out. Simon Peter, a bondservant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a precious like faith. This thing of elevating anybody is, is just ridiculous. It's out of context of the Bible. I mean, the, 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 this all came out, you know, we read in the, from the Israelites claim for themselves the title. It has the Hebrew word here. I won't even try and pronounce it. Because God selected them from other nations and accepted him about the rejoicing or protection. And in the New Testament, it's transferred to Christians as those whom God has selected. But the next verse is really alive to me. Anybody that's been coming here for prayer any time. Perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In our Sunday night prayer, we have been praying for how many people that don't have saved loved ones. Year after year, we see some fruit, right? We do it earnestly. Why do we do it earnestly? Because we believe that anybody that doesn't believe what we believe, is, we're not going to see them in heaven. Why wouldn't we have this perseverance, this perseverance, and this supplication, this earnest prayer? And we see it, right? I see Abby shaking her head. We know. Yeah. And this one has to make Wayne just about jump out of his seat. And Paul, of all people, Paul asked for what? utterances may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel. Paul is praying for what? <laughs> I mean, it's obvious that we want to make people understand. You know, I, I think this verse that, that Peter wrote about Paul is really good. Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in the rest of his epistles, speaking them of these things which are some things hard to understand. Notice, only some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of Scripture, right? I mean, I don't think Paul for a minute had any problems opening his mouth proclaim the gospel but the desire of his heart was it to give it to some Roman soldier next it was chained to him in a prison to spread the word through Rome it's, a, it's an amazing story and then the last verse for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may be speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, I heard in somebody's teaching, somewhere else in the Bible, an ambassador, this guy taught ambassadors to go out from the U.S. And the guy would be going to England. Before he'd go, he'd say, who are you an ambassador for? And they'd go, England. No, you're not. It's the United States you're an ambassador for. We're an ambassador for Jesus Christ wherever we go. But there is 
a verse that is absolutely mind-blowing to me, I put to memory. Second, Colossians 5, Corinthians 5, 20, I'm sorry, 2022 Colossians. <laughs> we'll just do the verse. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he has made him who knew, knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's the ambassadors we are. Unbelievable, isn't it? So, uh, Heavenly Father, you have written a book <laughs> that no man could write. No story could be made up that would fit together like this by different, different authors. These words, they're so poetic, but they have a deeper meaning. God, we just ask, that, you know, to keep in our hearts this armor to help us put it on in such a way that we can present the gospel of peace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.